You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the 113th episode of the Apple Insider Podcast, where we discuss all things Apple, Macintosh, iPhone, iPad, iPod, iPod, and more. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and with me is Neil Hughes. Victor, how's it going? It's an amazing day. How are you doing, Neil? Doing pretty well. Great. So I got to ask you, because I, I know you're ready to tell me all about it. Why should I go rush out and get a new iPad? If you're a listener to the Apple Insider podcast, you probably shouldn't go out and get a new iPad, but maybe you should recommend that your parents go get a new iPad would be the way that I would put it. Um, okay, they, straighten me out. They uh, released a new low-end iPad this week, which is uh, actually a really compelling buy uh, for people that don't need the latest and greatest. Um, there are some downsides to it, but those are the trade-offs that you get when you price it at $130, or I'm sorry, $330, uh, wait, which wait, is significant. I'm buying two. I. <laughs> no, $330, um, oh. which is uh, uh, considering that the old iPad Air 2 was previously priced at $400, um, this new model with a faster processor uh, comes in $70 cheaper and basically to me signals probably the end of the iPad mini um, in, in the long term. So no iPad mini, we think that might go away. And the the $339 iPad that replaces the Air, it got a faster processor, didn't it? It got updated to what? The A9X? Uh A9, not X. A9. Forgive me. And and so if you have an iPad Air or you have an iPad 4 that preceded the iPad Air, this is something that might be uh, appealing to you. Yeah, I think that the, you know, there's the thing with the iPad is it doesn't have the same upgrade cycle as an iPhone. With an iPhone, we've all been in these Surface contracts. The progress that's been made has been exponential. Um, the improvements, the redesigns, everything. Everybody updates their phone every year, every two years, at most three years. With an iPad, it's a very different update cycle. Uh, it's not subsidized by your carrier. The the hardware updates are not as significant as they are on the iPhone. Uh, therefore. Uh, people may be less likely to to update. So the upgrade cycle is more like in the four or five year. If, if you're looking at one, two, three years for an iPhone, it's four or five years for an iPad. So there's a lot of folks out there still on an iPad 2, still on an iPad 3, still on an iPad 4. If you're on one of those models, upgrading is a no-brainer. If you're on an iPad Air or iPad Air 2, it's a little less clear. I, I think that for first-gen iPad Air, it's a great upgrade. Uh, if you have an iPad Air 2 um, and you're happy with it, you should probably either stay put or uh, or wait a little bit longer for an iPad Pro. Why why should someone have to choose between this? What, what's I'm sorry, I'm saying this wrong. Let me think about this. What, what's the decision that you'd be making if you were saying, I could get a 9.7-inch iPad Pro or I could get this? What what makes this compelling in that comparison? This is really all about price. Um, this is for uh, Apple's been doing something very interesting in the last couple of years. They've been pushing iPad prices higher uh, with the Pro models, and they've left the low end kind of neglected. And now they've gone back to the low end. Uh, this replaces the iPad Air, just known as iPad. Um, so it kind of simplifies the branding a little bit. But this is geared toward. Uh, the low end of the market. This is geared toward if you're considering a $150, $200 Kindle Fire, maybe you want to spend a little bit more and get yourself a premium 
tablet with a large display, retina display, touch ID, Apple Pay, uh, you know, all these features that are exclusive and unique to the iPad, plus the best tablet lineup of software available, um, all for a very competitive price. Okay. And, and it depends a little bit around what your use case is. You know, if you're using it like a laptop and you're typing and you don't necessarily need a type cover and a smart connector and you aren't going to use a pencil, mm-hmm. there are good reasons why this might make sense for you. But it's not the same as having the Pro Machine. Is that a fair I summary? can see this being uh, Apple's best-selling uh, tablet uh that that they have right now even with new pros supposedly coming down the pike i could see this being the best-selling one because i think for the average tablet user uh, a lot of them aren't going to care about the smart connector for a a thin keyboard and a lot of them aren't going to care about uh, the pencil Uh, they're going to be more focused on price because i think that tablets um, are still in a position where they are not necessarily computer replacements I think that transition is taking a little longer than than some people had expected, um, and I think that they are more supplemental devices uh, to a traditional computer or even to an iPhone. All right, I'm still trying to make that transition. I want to do it, but we're not there yet, especially when it comes to recording the podcast. So there we're we go. not there in terms of uh, software. I think the hardware could be there, but iOS remains handicapped in a number of ways, and it's getting better. And you know, fingers crossed that iOS 11 um, has some iPad-specific improvements. We'll see iOS 11 this year at WWDC. Um, but Victor, you and I have talked about this many times, um, that it's kind of t- it's time for Apple to take the training wheels off of uh, iOS a little bit and uh, to really bring us true professional apps for it. Uh, because obviously, while an iPad can't necessarily replace a Mac for a lot of uses, there are certain areas and certain tasks where an iPad is better than a Mac, much better than a Mac, um, based on what it offers. And so it would be nice to see software that truly takes advantage of that and makes it a, a pro machine through and through. But, Neil, we're getting that software. Are we? Uh, App- Apple announced Clips. <laughs> They did oh, announce okay. clips. Dear, dear listeners, I apologize. I'm having fun at Neil's expense here, but um, and, and not for the first time. But Clips is a video editing program that some people have said copies Snapchat. Those people are wrong. Those people are dead wrong because what it's really doing is borrowing off a photo booth from Mac from years ago. And what you're what they do is, you know, they the Eclipse allows you to to put overlays on top of faces, change backgrounds, things like this, and they're interestingly using dictation to create titles for it. So it's it's a fast way to put together a funky little video all on iOS. Have I summed that up right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the most annoying thing about the announcement was that it's not coming out till next month, so Apple pre-announced some software that's going to be available in April. But uh, it looks like a, a nice... Um, uh, in between a, a little more advanced than you can get with the photos and camera apps on your phone, uh, but not quite as uh, intensive as iMovie is uh, on iPhone or iPad. Um, so I think this is a kind of a, a nice... Uh, if, if you if you like using the memories feature in iOS 10 photos, this is kind of a, a up, step up from that. One of the things that's interesting is that people have been comparing it to Apple and social media. And, and saying, you know, this is Apple copying Snapchat and saying that Apple historically doesn't do social well, which is sadly true, right? The social part of Apple Music is kind of done. 
and Ping never took off on iTunes either. Apple doesn't really get social. Only in the past year have they actually turned on their social media accounts for Twitter, for example, and actually used them. Right. Um, so I would say that Apple is getting better at social. And I would say that this is an interesting one because instead of trying to build their own social network, they instead push out the hooks to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and all of the others through through sharing from clips. So and, this and let's not forget that really a right. key component, a key component of, of social networking, so to speak, which is a very vague term, is, is messaging and networking, and uh, that is a big part of the iPhone ecosystem and the Mac ecosystem and iOS. Um, is iMessage. Um, and that's, you know, a critical reason why people stick around is because they don't want to lose that. They don't want to uh, lose the ability to have, you know, the unique advantages that iMessage offers. And and Google has tried desperately to replicate that with Hangouts and now whatever their new thing is, Allo or whatever. Allo um, and Duo because yeah. <laughs> they had to have two. Yeah. Go- so- Google... Google's been nuts, right? Google had Google Buzz, and Google Buzz was an attempt to make Twitter, but make it work within email. Then Google had, well, before that, they had Orkut, which was a social media network that only took off in South America. And then after that, they they had Google Plus, where they tried to integrate everything into Google Plus. And for voice and social, they had, for chat, they had chat within Gmail, they had Hangouts. And then Hangouts is sort of beginning to, supposed to be going away. It's deprecated, and it's only for businesses. To be replaced by Allo, which is a messaging platform and duo that is a video platform that just now gained voice only calls because why have only one can have 20 of these things it's kind of maddening it really is it's something else but i mean that's why i laugh when people say apple is bad at social and it's like everybody's bad at social twitter's not making any money geez even Twitter's not making any money. Facebook, every time they try to introduce a new product, just ticks people off, like, you know, separating Messenger into its own thing and their lame Snapchat copy. Like, the thing is, social is really, really, really difficult to do. And, you know, let's not forget the grandfathers of social, you know, apps that came along before Facebook and Twitter, before they were even known as apps, just websites, you know, the MySpaces, the dinosaurs of the world that quickly were discarded and fell apart. Um, it, it seems like success in social is, you know, kind of a, a momentum game, kind of a luck game. Uh, can you get more users tied into your network and get them to stay? Um, can you not have them all abandon ship? Uh, I, I think that uh, Apple's lack of success in social uh, isn't really surprising because literally every company in social struggles. You know, Facebook is the behemoth, but even they struggle to introduce new products. And, and new services to people without annoying them. Yeah, well, and Apple does a good job of burying it within whatever they're doing. Instead of it being front and center and saying, this is the purpose of this thing, bring your friends, right. use it, make it interesting. The idea that you could possibly talk to or message or, or see updates from the celebrities that you wanted to follow was hidden. It was like four or five levels deep. I don't even know where it was. With Ping... It was never clear what you were supposed to do with Ping, and you were supposed to spend your time within iTunes to do it. it but come on, guys. Right. Seriously. Get it together. If you're going to make something be social, you have to be sociable about it. You have to make it easy to drag your friends to it. And they didn't. Now, the, the only social right. network that I would say they've actually succeeded at pushing is iMessage. 
That's true. And, and it is interesting that, you know, these new iPad commercials that they've been airing for the last few months uh, feature people in real life, but they're Twitter holding cards. up uh, Twitter <laughs> posts that they yeah. have made. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I, Apple's kind of come around social and realized, I think that they were reluctant to partner with Facebook and Twitter and the like before, but obviously for years now, you've been able to integrate at a more system wide level, uh, those services and, uh, I think that's the right approach. You know, th- there's no sense in Apple trying to make a Twitter competitor. No, but the, not, the beauty of cool. iMessage and it taking off was the the difference in green colored bubbles versus blue bubbles, and how you yes. really only wanted to be friends with the people that were in blue bubbles, right? And delivered receipts and red receipts yes. and uh, uh, you know higher higher quality. Um, I feel like I saw a late night sent. sketch where there was a dating Cross app point. and people were saying they would never date anyone that was green bubbles. You'd only date someone that was blue bubbles because they were the cool ones, right? <laughs> and <laughs> that's it's true. fine. Apple nailed that one success. And, and you know, messaging doesn't sound like a social media network except, well, what's more social than that? Because that's where all of your friends are. That's your all your contacts. I will still get texts from people that are on Android phones or whatever where it cuts off at the character limit of 160 characters or whatever it is and it breaks it off into a second message or I'll get texts where they send a video and they're, you know, it's too high quality for SMS to or MMS to handle it so it downgrades it to like a pixelated mess and th- those are uh, great examples of why iMessage works so well and why BlackBerry Messenger works so well too. Uh, you know, these these ways of going around the carrier text messaging uh, system well, just provide a much better service. Things These things should SMS be just straight SMS was a bad data. hack to begin with. The reason why SMS exists at all is because they noticed that, hey, we could send text within the subcarrier of the GSM signal. It's basically the fact that there's this packet, we can actually jam some text in there and carry along with it. It, it was a bad hack. There was no purpose built for that to exist. It just happened to work, and it became this thing. And in the early days of texting, where you would be limited to like ten texts. Well, a so month that was a U.S. Week. artifact. Uh, so that was a U.S. Phone? artifact in in Europe and the rest of the civilized world. The way that it worked was that calling was very very expensive, and texting was very very cheap. And so everyone there learned how to text very quickly. And this is why Twitter is limited to 140 characters for a tweet, is because Twitter piggybacked off of SMS, right. and you would send your tweets via SMS using your T9 dial pad to compose them and so that was very much a whole let's get into europe thing let's get where people know how to text already doing that we're in the u.s because texting was which expensive. only proves my point even more that success success in social is yeah. uh, accidental but, uh, <laughs> the defining characteristic of twitter it, it was, was defined by technical um, mms is an even worse hack and mms is is one of those very bizarre kind of things we have to have an ms server at the carrier to handle it, and if you don't have it set up just right over there, it pipes it to an email. It'll throw it out to your phone number at domain of your carrier's address. You'll see that sometimes. Um, the whole thing is just kind of a nightmare, which is why we get Google and their 20 applications to solve the problem, and Apple and the one application to solve the problem. And so what do you think of this new uh, app Oh, I love Apple? it. I haven't used it yet, and I love it. And here's why I love it. Yeah. Um, now, there are tons of preteen kids going around loving the idea of using Snapchat because it does overlays on their face. 
and taking cool selfies mm-hmm. of of their face as a dog or their face as a cat or their face as as a witch who knows and i don't really like the idea of of children because that's what they are using snapchat and being exposed to the the difficulties that a social network can present right and right. so you know you end up with parents who say yes you can use snapchat no you can't post you can use it to use the camera app to take selfies but it's a hard division because that's not what it's meant for so here apple have introduced something that does all those things does them better and segments the social part away from the camera part heroic job mm-hmm. done you you want to put how many iPhones and iPads in the hands of kids that don't already have them? You want to cement kids using those things to take funny pictures themselves and send them to their other preteen friends? Job done. This is a huge win for Apple. Yep. And so what? They're second to the party. They're late to the party. It doesn't even matter. They have just owned everyone, and the app's not even out yet. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited to test it out. I mean, it's a novelty app. But like you said, it's a... Uh, extension of photo booth which i actually had to double check right now and make sure that it wasn't still installed <laughs> on uh on ipad because like remember when ipad for i mean i think it was up until ios 9 that it still had photo booth i think it, has, it still had it buried in a photo uh, i don't know that's a good question um i you know i think of photo booth as it came out on the mac where the point of photo booth was to to do funny faces well, yes, and but... to do funny filters and it also introduced the the chroma keying to the consumer the idea that you could have it photograph your background and then replace your background live with something animated. The roller coaster, the the And make Paris it look France like you were on a roller coaster Eiffel while Tower. you were doing yes. a very important interview. Well, but also what was cool about Photo Booth was that it was possible to do that with your own backgrounds, with your own backdrops. So, you know, if you had a, a great big, if you had an image of your corporate logo, for example, you could do that in Photo Booth and then using iChat video conferencing, have that be your background in iChat video conferencing. This was, right. of course, this was, of course. So wait, Victor, are you telling me that Apple has been in the augmented reality um, business for a while now? I can neither confirm nor deny that, Neil. But uh, th- th- this was, of course, <laughs> back when multiple participant video chat worked before they took that away as a part of iMessage and FaceTime. Someday we'll get that back, but... Uh, yeah, there really needs to be multiple users. You used to be uh, able to have anywhere from three to eight people in iChat video with the photo booth chroma keying in the background going on. So I looked so cool, man. Instead of the, the stuff behind me that you'd see now if you were looking at me at this moment, um, I could have the, the corporate image or, or something else, a cool wallpaper on behind me, chroma keyed. And as long as I didn't move around a whole lot, then, then this background would be going on behind me. I'd look completely professional to the rest of the people that I'm chatting with. And that, that capability is gone. So two things have happened. One, I can't video chat and FaceTime anymore. And, and two, I no longer look professional at all. <laughs> so, Neil, I was telling you before we started recording that, that I'm getting new iPhones around here. And, you know, they're, they're not the impressive ones, unfortunately. Right. I'm getting some iPhone SEs in the house. And just as I'm doing that, wouldn't you know it, they've gone ahead and upgraded the storage on those. Those are now, what, 32 gig and 128 gig? Is that right? Yep. They've doubled the storage on the two models. So 
uh, and they also adjust the pricing a little bit. So I think if you bought from Apple uh, for the last six months or so, it's been $400 for 16 gigs and $450 for 64 gigs. Now uh, the high-end model goes back to $500, and so it's 32 gigs for $400 and 128 gigs for $500. Um, I am still using my iPhone SE. I have a 64 gig model. Um, and honestly, if I could sell it to somebody for about 300 bucks, I'd probably drop the extra 200 to double my storage because I have run out of space a number of times on my iPhone and can't save my videos on there. 64 gigs just is not enough for me. We will with talk more about that after the show. That. So I wish that they had released. I, I have a buyer for you. I, I wish that, uh, uh, all right. Well, I, I wish that, uh, we had, uh, uh, had a 128 gig one a year ago, I think is a year too late, but, uh, still, I think that, uh, this is a great value in this phone. And if you're on the market right now and, uh, for a cheap phone and you want something a little smaller, uh, I think you'd be very happy. All right. Now, what about the iPhone seven? Uh, also an update to the iPhone seven this week for the first time ever, uh, Apple has released a product red version of the iPhone seven and iPhone seven plus, uh, there's never been a red iPhone before, so uh, you get the typical uh, anodized aluminum treatment on the back. It's a uh, deep red color, uh, kind of matching previous iPods that have had this. Um, and they uh, interestingly have the silver uh, logo, uh, Apple logo on the center, so it gives it kind of a striking look. Um, and then it continues to have the white front as all of the other uh, multicolor iPhones have. So. Uh, that joins, obviously, rose gold, uh, jet black, uh, the matte black color that was uh, reintroduced last year, um, gold. Um, so it would be nice to see, uh, uh, and silver as well, it would be nice to see some more colors come into the lineup as, as we go forward. You know, uh, I think that they did an anodized treatment for like a like a deep blue, like they Bondi do with the blue. iPods, or maybe, a, <laughs> or maybe a green one or a yellow. I think that I think that that kind of customization uh, really resonates with a lot of consumers, um, and I think that you know the, the swappable watch bands and stuff are one of the most appealing things about the Apple Watch. Uh, cases on your iPhone are a big part of that. I think uh, giving users the ability to uh, have more color options w- is going to be a boon My for sales in the long is, run. Did they introduce the red model too late? Um, I mean, it's hard to say because so many people buy phones when they need them, you know, uh, you, you know, this as well as I do that people are always saying, uh, Hey, uh, what, what, you know, when's the new iPhone coming out or what should I get? I got to get a phone today kind of stuff, you know? So I think that there's a lot of people that are just going into the store to buy one. Let's not forget that in their worst quarters, Apple is still selling, you know, 40, 45 million phones. So I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about Casper mattresses. And the Casper is an obsessively injured mattress at a shockingly fair price. We, we talk a little bit about mattresses and sleeping, right? The idea is, is that if you sleep on a very hard mattress, if it's a very firm mattress, it can really lead to sore pressure points like at your, your back with your, your um, shoulder blades or around the hips. And it's, it's, it's supportive, but it's too supportive. It's uncomfortable. And there are other ones that are soft and you sink in, but then you aren't supported really well at all because now you're kind of, you know, dished into your bed. And, and so that's, there's been this search for the past few years to try and figure out what the right kind of bed is, what the right thing is to support and, and to be supportive at the same time, right? To, to not sink in too far and yet to not be pushed into this painful position. And so Casper 
has been doing this for a few years now. They've been engineering these beds, which we don't commonly think of, right? We think of people making beds or manufacturing beds, but not necessarily engineering, which is a stronger word. It says that there's science behind it. So they've got supportive memory foams that create an award-winning sleeve surface with just the right amount of sink and just the right amount of bounce. And you can try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it back up and they'll refund you everything. Because they understand the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend about a third of your life sleeping on it. Free shipping have free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars. It's, it's becoming the internet's favorite mattress. And... You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash insider and using the offer code insider. Some terms and conditions may apply. Neil, you have one of these, don't you? Yeah, I've been sleeping on, yeah, I've been sleeping on a Casper for about a little over a year now. Um, very happy with it. The uh, delivery was awesome. They gave me, it, was, it wasn't like your cable guy where... You know, they'll give you like an eight hour window and be like, take off work today so you can get your cable fixed. Uh, they came right when they said they were going to be there um, and, you know, brought it up and, and, and set it up and everything for me. And uh, I've been Brilliant. very happy with it. So my concern about the iPhone is twofold. One, I wonder if – and you sort of answered this when you said that people buy iPhones when they need them, which which is true. But we are several months after the launch of the iPhone 7. Does it make sense to buy an iPhone 7 Red at this point, or does it make sense to wait until the introduction of the next one? I mean, you know, a lot of people just don't care. I think that that's part of the problem that we as tech fans get caught up in. We're so caught up in what's new and what we need and whatever. There are some people out there that get angry when the phone design gets changed. They go, I can't use my case. Uh, they get angry when, you know, the connectors change. They get angry with all this stuff. Uh, you know, it's only the the fanboys and the nerds that are complaining about whether or not the iPhone has USB-C on it or whether or not it has a new design. Um, I think that it's very easy to get caught up in this mentality of, uh, you know, whatever's new or whatever's coming. I think that, you know, for the type of person who's going to buy the red iPhone 7 who, uh, you know, unless you're the type of person with money is no object, if you're looking to buy an iPhone now, um, you don't really care that much that there's going to be one in six yeah. months because you don't want to wait six months, you know? Um, and, and, and that's very much Apple's philosophy too. Um, when it comes to all their product lines, you know, they never tip their hand officially about when new products are coming and they don't do discounts because as far as they're concerned, you need a Mac. Now you need a phone. Now you need a tablet. Now you go to the store and you buy it and that's the price and that's what it is. So, um, you know, I think that this is fine. I, I think that, if anything, it might be a nice little mid-cycle sales boost for, for Apple. Maybe some people are sitting on the fence saying, eh, the 7 didn't wow me, but they'll see the 7 color, uh, the red color for it, and go, oh, I really, really like that, and then decide to buy one. I don't think it hurts in any way. I don't think it's bad timing. I don't think it's a problem. I don't think that they needed to hold it for you know later in the year or whatever. I don't think that's really an issue. And and let's be thankful that they didn't pull a white iPhone 4 situation where they announced the, the Red 7 last fall and then yeah. took a year to release it or whatever. Um, you know, they they uh, uh, they just surprised us with this one. We kind of had some inkling that it was coming with some rumors and stuff like that. And and let's also not forget that the money goes to a good cause. Apple has donated uh, tens of millions of dollars to the the Red uh, Foundation for uh, people with HIV and AIDS, um, and it's a good cause. And uh, proceeds from every sale uh, go to that cause. So. You know, buy yourself nice. a phone and Pat feel good about it. Pat yourself on the back for buying the phone. Now, my, my next question then is, 
It's weird that we got the iPad update and the iPhone update with little fanfare. It just kind of happened. The tech blogs wrote about it, but there was no event. There was no announcement. There was no no great noise-making about it from Apple's side on this. It just kind of happened. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be realistic about it. This is not a big update for Apple. Nothing that they announced is really a game changer. You have a new color for the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus. You have some new bands for the Apple Watch, which are seasonal, which they do regularly anyhow. You have larger capacities for the iPhone SE. And you have uh, uh, a new iPad, but it's not really a new iPad. It's an iPad Air 1, not even 2, because of the thickness. doesn't have the laminated screen of the 2. Um, and basically what they did was they gave it some more capacity and they, um, uh, they, they gave it a faster processor an a nine and that's where we're at. So you, you got to reach those low prices somehow. And that's how they reached the low price that they did. So it's not, a, it, none of these were, were big updates. That's why they didn't have an event. It's not a surprise that they would, I think for, for hardcore Apple fans, this is going to be seen as a ho-hum event, but this is not for those people. This is for the type of people who are just buying a phone when it's coming, when they need one, you know, like just, I, 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 my phone broke. I need a new phone. They go to the store. There's a new 128 gig iPhone. I say, great. I'll take that one. Just so what I was phone. hoping for was the idea that if these smaller updates were being pushed out with a little fanfare, that it meant that at the event that we're still hoping comes to talk to us all about new iPad pro models, that, that these things were pushed out mm-hmm. because there'll be so much to talk about at that event that there's just no time for these. There's two schools of thought going on right now, right? So there's a lot of expectations that we're going to see new iPad Pros very soon because they're due for updates. And specifically, there's been a lot of rumors about this 10.5-inch model with a reduced bezel um, kind of uh, as a precursor to the bezel-free iPhone coming later this year. So the one school of thought is we're overdue for this. It's We need an update. It's going to probably happen, if not in April, then by WWDC. Uh, the other side of it is uh, there's... Some people, I know John Gruber, Daring Fireball, has put this out there. Some people don't think that they would put out new iPads with all new designs before a new iPhone with all new design because they don't want to take the thunder away from the new iPhone and new technology in it and stuff like that. There are some people that think that we may not see new newly designed iPads until this fall or maybe even next year. And that maybe what Apple is working on right now is kind of a longer term, a little further away than we're thinking. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. My, my hunch still tells me that uh, we will see new iPads in the next couple months, April or May. The question becomes, how much will that cause a problem? Like if you went out and bought, if you didn't know and you went out and bought a you know, $330 iPad today and then a new iPad Pro that starts at $600 comes out next month, how angry are you going to be that a new model came out you know, a month after you bought one? I don't think that would affect very many people because I think if you're on the market for the a $330 price divide iPad, there is you don't big really enough care that it's not a that big much issue. About I mean, you the simply unload the $330 model and you go buy the $600 one. If yeah, it was a, I think it's a hundred dollar difference, right? Anybody who's on the market a, for a $330 one. I just one. bought an iPad Air 2 and they've now introduced this one. I would have been a little frustrated. But if you're talking right. that, that $300 price difference, I don't see it. Because it's a different market, it's a different product, it's a different everything. Even, yeah. 
I think I think they could still do it. Some people think that because they released the new iPad, the low end one quietly, that there won't be an event. That's a sign there won't be an event. I don't necessarily buy that. I think that even if this 10.5 inch iPad isn't coming this year and is a next year thing or is this fall thing or whatever, I think there's enough there for a, a series of product announcements. Um, the question is, how much thunder do they want to steal from iOS 11 at WWDC? Maybe iOS 11 is more of a security, maintenance, uh, polishing what we've got update, and they will accompany it with hardware to make their keynote uh, you know, a little more exciting, um, uh, especially for consumers. I, I don't know. But I mean, in addition to new iPads, which we're overdue for, uh, we also need a new 12-inch MacBook, which came out about a year ago, and those, uh, you know... Are the last two have been updated around the same time, uh, March, April timeframe. So, you know, I think that uh, there is potential there for a series of hardware updates. And if they're ready to go, then I wouldn't be surprised if we see an event cool. in I'm April or May. I'm looking forward to that. I, uh, I, I like events. I like Apple events. Well, and, and uh, it'll be interesting to see, too, because we're, we're, we're expecting this 10.5-inch iPad with a bezel-free design that's supposed to be the successor to the 9.7-inch model. Um, however, what about the 12.9-inch iPad? Are, is that, are they not going to do a larger version for that? Is that not going to get a bezel-free design? Some of the rumors that are out there right now don't make a lot of sense. It's been a little confusing. You know, it, it has, but it's, it's one of those things where clearly if they could do a bezel-free design, you know they would. They'd prefer to. But at the same time, right. they're trying to jam as much they can into this thing. You know, so much battery, so much electronics, the whole thing. You, you design for what you've got to work with. You know, every, everyone's got constraints. And so if it's yeah, possible to I, do a bezel-free on one, that doesn't necessarily mean it's possible to do it on all of them right away. It means that you have to re-engineer everything else to match. And and what we know is that they're generational, right? There, there are a couple of things that Apple does. One of the things that they do is is they have these things moving in different cycles, just as the uh, the 9.7 iPad Pro came after the 12.9 iPad Pro. Um, and the, the 9.7 had more cool things, more capabilities, than the 12.9 did when it launched. They're both iPad Pros. The 9.7 was slightly cooler. And so the next thing that makes sense is for the, the 12.9 to get the things that the 9.7 did and because it's, it's, it's the further one out in the cycle. It's the older one, the ready-to-be-updated. When you introduce this 10-inch... Right. Yeah, right, it needs to right. get when the you introduce the idea of a, of a 10-inch with bezel-less kind of display, well, then you say, okay, we're going to go ahead and do that, and then we have to backport that to whatever revision we're doing of the next thing. You know, think think way back historically, right? They, they don't stand still on any of this stuff, and they frequently update models without telling people. The iPad 2 was in, in manufacture for a very long time, and, and partly that was because of government and education sales. But while they were doing it, it, they didn't stand still and just simply produce the same iPad 2 all the way through. Instead, they updated the processor technology over time to use a smaller process. They did this because it, it had a knock-on effect for battery life and other things. They were able to get more out of it and still say, this is an iPad 2. But it happens to be a different revision of the iPad 2 that they didn't have to tell anyone about because who, who would have really cared? So none of these things stand right. still. When a product is, is in life like this for a long time, it's either going to get completely revamped, as we hope that the, the iPad Pro line does, or if it's longer in tooth, it's going to be updated under the covers where it won't be big fanfare, but you will still reap some benefits. 
Yeah, and, and even if we don't get a hardware revision in a major way this year, think of the logical upgrades, you know, aside from the obvious, you know, A10X processor or whatever, we still don't have 3D touch on the iPad. Um, and that's an obvious application there. We don't have the, uh, we don't have any sort of vibration function on the iPad to accompany it. So then it becomes, do we get a taptic engine to go along with, uh, uh, 3d touch because taptic engine is such a crucial part of that, that feedback of, of feeling when you do that. Uh, or maybe Apple has no intentions of bringing this technology to the iPad. That would surprise me considering that you have it on the trackpad on your MacBook as well. But uh, when people say that it's unlikely that Apple would introduce new technology in an iPad first before an iPhone, all you have to do is look at the Apple Watch. That was where they first introduced 3D Touch, then known as Force Touch, um, and uh, then brought it to the MacBook in the trackpad before it ever came to the iPhone. So I think that you know Apple's going to do it wherever the technology is available. And there may be some instances where it's easier to do certain things on a bigger iPad with more room to spare kind of than it is on a tiny we're talking about is one that, that happens as iOS changes, right? So the iPhone leads iOS. It just does. It is the primary right. iOS device. And if you say we're getting rid of the physical home button, which we've done, and the next step is getting rid of a space on the screen called the home button, and the whole screen is the home button. And because of that, it requires that we change iOS in, in X, Y, and Z ways. Once we do that, then it makes sense to migrate the iPads to that Force Touch or Taptic Engine and have give them 3D Touch. But at the same time, you've still got a range of iPhones and iPads that are still on the supported list. Right, your your iPhone five is a legacy device, but your iPhone five S, right. your six, your six S are still supported devices, and they still have physical home buttons. So you can't change iOS so greatly that those models can't work with it with their physical home buttons. And and so what we're looking at right. is if you're going to say that the iPad gets a Taptic Engine and gets Force Touch or 3D Touch and gets all these things, and that it's going to change iOS in a big sweeping way, then what you can say is that we can really do that. I mean, we can talk about doing that before then, but we can really do that in a sweeping way once the iPhone 6S is on the legacy list. So we're a few years out from that kind of sweeping change that you're talking about. Right. Yeah, um, but I, I still think that it could change it in, in major ways. Um, you know, I, I think that 3D Touch has yet to really catch on in a meaningful way. But there are certain small things that I miss about it when I use my iPhone SE, um, including quick access to the, uh, uh, the the low power mode and the battery settings um, through the settings icon. And I could see where a Taptic Engine and a 3D Touch might help with things like, for example, the virtual keyboard on the iPad. Um, they it'll be interesting to see what happens because they've never they've never done any sort of force feedback. Uh, you know, vibration function in the iPad and having it w work uniformly on an iPad, you know, a device that big, if it's just vibrating in one corner or something um, and you're, you're using 3d touch in the upper other corner, uh, it's not going to feel very good. It's not going to work very well. So m maybe, maybe it just isn't there yet. Maybe the technology isn't there and we won't see it this year. But when you look at logical progressions for the iPad and, and places where it could get better, um, that's one of those obvious things where it's on virtually every other product that Apple sells except for the iPad. So it's like kind of overdue. I want to shift you know? gears and talk about software for a moment. So Apple acquired one of my favorite applications. And it's unusual for a couple of reasons. First of all, when, when they fired Sal Sogahoyan, who is the head of automation at Apple, 
He was the uh, the champion for AppleScript, and he was he was behind Automator. Um, there was this kind of uproar in in some corners of the Mac community, saying, "Oh my gosh, automation is dead!" Right? Automation doesn't mean anything to Apple. They've gotten rid of Sal, who was its big evangelist. Uh, we don't know what's going to come next. And this was an interesting one. So you and I have been using Workflow, and we you know you, we we have a couple of different things that we do regularly in it, including putting together all of our um, let's say uh, in images for articles that we post on Apple Insider. And it's, it's pretty flexible. It's not perfectly mm-hmm. flexible. You can't do every single thing with it that you can do with something like Python or a different scripting language. But the other side is, is that it's so darn easy to use. You know, I have shortcuts on my, uh, my iPhone's springboard that allow me to go ahead and tap on things and pick images from the camera and have it compose them for me. I can have screenshots put together in all kinds of different ways. It's very cool. I love it a lot. Mm-hmm. And Apple bought them. So, first of all, isn't it unusual that Apple would buy an app? It is unusual, um, but this is an acquisition that makes sense. Um, and not that unusual. Let's not forget that Siri was an app before it was integrated into the OS. Um, c- considering the history with automation that Apple has uh, on the Mac... And considering how closely they've worked and how heavily they've promoted the workflow app on the App Store, um, it would not surprise me if we see automation very soon in iOS, perhaps as soon as iOS 11 um, this year. It just it makes too much sense, I think. Uh, And it's power user features. And it goes back to what we were talking about before. Time to take the training wheels off iOS. Uh, This is a great example of where those kinds of uh, power user features on iPhone and iPad will make a very big difference and uh, really close the gap with where, you know, nerds who are all about Android and the customization of it and all that, um, at least in terms of getting stuff done in functionality, uh, that's where Apple could not only close the gap, but really surpass Android and offer integration and, and reliable automation in a way that yeah. uh, nobody else can, I, can do. I am really... I'm. I'm glad to see that this app has um, has gotten recognized for all the things it accomplished. My my hope is like yours that Apple takes it and opens it up to to everyone, opens up automation to everyone. My my concern is that we get what we got when Apple bought Siri, which is you, you may not remember this, but Siri when it was an app and when it wasn't owned by Apple it was a lot more powerful than Siri is today. You know, Siri used to be able to predictively right. realize that you'd been out drinking and call you a cab. Well, that is part of the the uh, privacy concerns, uh, uh, the, the creepiness of your device it, that Apple wants to avoid. You, so you, you get searched. I, I understand like some of that. I mean, yeah, no, you, I you're right like to search the web. Go ahead and find me the 10 places that are close to me that I'd like to go to next. Oh, I can search Yelp for you. Well, thanks a lot. You know, this is not what Siri I, I, Siri has become crippled. And my hope is that workflow doesn't become crippled similarly. I think that because the nature of workflow is where you need to kind of build it yourself or customize it or, or create it, you know, there are, there are automation things that Apple could build into iOS. You know, there are basic things now, like, for example, uh, when you load up the Today screen on Notification Center, it'll give you the estimated time for traffic and getting home to your home. And it figures out where your home is just based on where you spend most of your time. You don't even have to enter anything in, right? 
So um, there are certain very basic forms of automation that Apple has in there, and they try to keep the creep factor, so to speak, uh, down pretty low. Um, but if they were to implement it in a way where it was opt-in and cross-app, uh, you're talking really powerful stuff that you could do. Um, and and anybody who's familiar with uh, some of the NFC support on Android, uh, which is limited but but capable, uh, has an idea of what this kind of stuff is capable of. You know, location-based, tag-based, Bluetooth-based, whatever. Um, you can have certain things that you could create. Like, for example, um, and I don't know if Apple would ever do this, but this would be a great system-wide thing that you could do if, if it were possible to say... If you, uh, if I'm on a trusted Wi-Fi network that is known, and this is the uh, the uh, location of it um, based on GPS or triangulation or whatever, and these known Bluetooth devices are nearby, then I know that I'm home. I'm not worried about security of my iPad. Bypass Touch ID and let me just unlock it without a fingerprint scan or just by taking off my smart cover or something like that. You know, those are the kind of like opt-in power user features that would be really neat that may not apply to more casual uh, users, but for app developers and for pro users uh, would be a very big deal. You know, there's always been this difficulty between things like if this, then that, which are very, very simple and straightforward in terms of what you are limited to do. Um, Because I've always wanted a, a, if this, and this, then that, or if this, or this, then that. I I need that extra operator or extra conditional. To, to be able to really be flexible, but that's not their reason for existing. Their reason for existing is to be one site that says, if you have one thing, then do this one other thing. With workflow, it's a lot more flexible. I, I hope, I hope we don't lose that. That's what I'm saying. Well, my biggest hope for the workflow acquisition is that we see that team or those guys, I think it's only like three guys there that were working on it, but I hope that we see what they do get implemented in a big way into HomeKit as well. Because HomeKit is a lot more flexible than like an if this, then that. The problem is it's not as reliable. Um, You will create scenes that will work sometimes and it's like magic. Uh, But then you will create HomeKit scenes that just refuse to work or work once or work sporadically. And you can't figure out why it doesn't make any sense. If they could solve that uh, then imagine workflow type automation I, I sensibilities. Think, I, you know, I'm very, very agnostic really about this. Really I want it to work with everything that's on iOS. And anything that's on iOS should be able to hook into the automation. Well, yes. Yeah, if they open that up to developers and you know third-party apps uh, are able to do certain things like. Think about that kind of automation stuff, especially on the Apple Watch in a big way, right? Because the Apple Watch is the last device that you want to interact with. The screen's too small. You can only use one hand with it because it's on your wrist. There's just like so many reasons that you don't want to interact with your watch. You just want to look at it, get the information, and go. Why can't your Apple Watch know that you're out running and then open a running app and start taking your pace and distance, you know? Like, it should be able to sort out, okay, your heart rate's up, it's moving kind of violently around, you're moving at a pace that an average human being runs at, okay, you're running, and then just start doing um, it. Um, that's the kind of stuff that That's the kind of thing that Atlas Wearables was doing, where they would recognize in, with their wearable whatever activity you were doing, because they had this huge database built up of what activity looks like doing a accelerometer. Okay, we can see that you're lifting. Okay, we can see they're running. We can see that you're jogging. We can see that you're rowing. They they knew just based on the motions that you'd make what fitness activity you were doing, and there's no reason that Apple can't do that. They totally should have by now. Imagine that you were to uh, 
you use the Fandango app, buy tickets to a movie. It adds the tickets to the movie to your Apple Wallet. Apple Wallet is connected to your Apple Watch. Uh, it knows when the movie starts and where you're supposed to be. It automatically gives you directions when you're in the car, when you're driving to the theater. When you get to the theater, it pulls up the ticket without you even having to interact with it because it knows where you are and that you're there. And then when you get into the movie theater, your watch and your phone automatically go into do not disturb slash theater mode so that you're not bothering anybody while you're in there and it's not bothering you. Those are the kind of simple but complex automation tools that that Apple could do and should already have done at an OS level because you were able to invent it right now. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I mean, I, I you know the problem with that stuff is making it work reliably. That as as seen with HomeKit, you know, it sounds nice in theory, but then you're really ticked off when it starts putting your phone into do not disturb mode when you're not doing anything and then you miss an important phone call. You can't mess around with that kind of stuff. It has to be working 100% of the time. Speaking about other patents, there was one that we saw where where we published the idea of using an iPhone as the trackpad in a a keyboard. And this was something that Mikey wrote about because, well, Mm -hmm. Mikey writes about that stuff. Uh, Is that ever going to come to light? What's, What's the point of this thing? Why is this an invention? I think BlackBerry did this at some point. Uh, I think Microsoft has done something similar to this, well, too. Well, not exactly, It's an interesting right? concept. concepts have always um, been around docking the phone and then using the phone as the computer. But their docks have always been either laptop-looking right. things, like the, the Motorola Atrix, where you, or, or the, uh, the Asus Transformer, where you put your phone into right. the bottom of the tablet and it made the whole tablet work off of the phone's guts. Microsoft's was they made a little dock, mm-hmm. like you use for a desktop dock, but you connected your, your keyboard and mouse and screen to it, and it turned the phone into the computer that way when you put the phone on the docking station. No one's ever done the, the we'll use the phone as the trackpad kind of thing. I thought that the BlackBerry one was like that. I thought it uh, the popped, Asus in one there popped in on the back of the thing. Something like the that. The BlackBerry one didn't use it as a trackpad that I remember. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, this is. This is this is an interesting concept that I don't think will ever be a reality. And the problem for this is um, when you look at uh, the the patent images, the design, it's this big, bulky, essentially the size of a laptop, and then you pop your phone in there. The problem then becomes that uh, your your laptop is worthless without your phone being popped into it. So if you want to take a phone call or just use your phone or whatever, it does. It doesn't work then as a as a separate device. So, it, it, it this will never come, become a reality. But I did find it. It was a BlackBerry product here. It's called the BlackBerry Ten M1 Fuse. I, I don't think it became an actual. Yeah, BlackBerry product. Ten it was, was around the time that, that things were out. dying anyway. I'll send you the link to it here so we can include it in the show. Yeah, it's, you can put that link in the show notes so uh, listeners can check it out as well. But I mean, this is not necessarily a new idea. It's an interesting idea. I think that. Um, like I said, the problem with it is there are two concepts in the patent images. One is the trackpad area is a hole in the shell of the the computer, essentially, and you pop your phone in there, and then it becomes the trackpad, which is a neat idea, but what does that hole in the shell of the computer do when there's no phone in it? Like, you're going to carry around this giant accessory just but so you can sometimes use People have been doing this for ages. If you go back to Palm before screen. it became WebOS-based, the last gasp for Palm was called the Palm Folio. And the folio was this thing where you paired your your, uh, right. your your Palm OS device phone, your Trio, with the folio over Bluetooth. And 
then the folio ran off of your blackberry uh, off of your palm and you typed in the the this thing that was useless without your palm that's yeah and, and it's never caught they, on they, for a but reason. it hasn't stopped people from trying to make them I mean, we can rattle off all of the names, right? There was the Palm Folio, I don't understand Motorola why Atrix, the Microsoft version Apple, with their <laughs> hand dock. There's a Linux-based or Android-based one out there that I was looking at that was selling on Stack Social. There, there are tons of these things. Except Apple's already solved this problem through software in the cloud with iCloud and continuity. There, there is no advantage to this. It's just an extra piece of hardware that you have to carry around. Now, if if this were going to succeed, the way that it would be done is not through an additional hardware accessory that you have to lug around or whatever. It's more through like a docking station that you have at a desk where you can take what is already on your phone or your iPad and then use well, that. That was, that as, was Microsoft's uh, version. Uh, something, Microsoft's but it's not going to be a version. portable thing. It's going to be an at-home thing. Yeah, and that makes more sense. I could see, um, and you and I have talked about this before, the smart connector on the iPad. I could see, like I have right in front of me, I have an iPad Pro. What size? On the Logitech base dock, which charges it. Hmm. Uh, It's the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. So I use it as a second monitor with with my MacBook Pro. However, unfortunately, the smart connector doesn't have enough data throughput to do the second monitor thing. So I have to connect a lightning cable in addition to docking it. Uh, This is a great example of where I could dock my iPad on this, and if the smart connector had more bandwidth for data, it would then, um, over USB or USB-C, Thunderbolt 3 on a new MacBook, uh, through like a docking station perhaps, automatically turn into a second monitor. Um, Or let's say I didn't even have a Mac here. Let's just say I had a wireless keyboard and a mouse, and my iPad is an iPad, but then as soon as I put it down on the dock, uh, now it becomes uh, a, a more traditional computer. Um, that makes more sense to me than a laptop that you lug around and then pop your phone into to make it useful in any way. I think that in that situation, Apple's solution of iCloud and continuity makes more sense. Well, we've come to the the, the end of close to the really good podcast. A good. Po- Would you like to mention? Like to mention? Like to mention? Like to mention? Since we've <laughs> talked about all of these things, we talked. Uh, yeah. I've been using the uh, Nintendo Switch for a couple of weeks now um, since it came out, um, and I've been pretty happy with it. I mean, um, we wrote an article about it a few weeks ago uh, uh, talking about I, I called it iPad like in the headline, which got a lot of people very upset because they thought that I was trying to <laughs> they thought I was trying to say it, it's an iPad. Obviously, it's not an iPad, but no, it's there are Apple, certain things about Apple it TV that are like O'Neill. an iPad. For it's example, Apple, TV um, Apple at the Apple's <laughs> right. Um, at the, at the Apple store, you can buy an accessory called the game vice, which basically turns your iPad into a switch. Uh, it is a, uh, controller that attaches to the sides of your iPad and is removable and allows you to play games on the go. And if those games, uh, are iCloud connected, um, and cross by support, uh, for Apple TV and, and iOS, then you can pick up a controller or potentially use the pass through capabilities of iOS and tvOS. Uh, to play it on both your TV and and on the go. So the devices are not that different from from each other in that respect, at least as game-playing devices. The difference is Nintendo's is a lower-priced, exclusively game-playing device, whereas Apple is not really that interested in games, as evidenced by uh, a, a number of problems, including Game Center. Uh, but I, I, I think, you know, it's an interesting device. Um, I, I'm very happy with the Nintendo Switch, the on-the-go 
plus docking it and playing on your TV at home is a kind of ingenious design. Uh, and it's not as powerful as an iPad, but it doesn't have to be. It's really all about the games. Nintendo makes great games, and there aren't a lot of games out for it right now. The Zelda game that came out is absolutely epic. It's massive on a grand scale. It's breathtakingly uh, large and and uh, very intimidating in some ways just in how large the game is. But you have a bunch of Nintendo IP coming out for it that's kind of staggered, um, including a Mario Kart game coming out, a new Splatoon this summer, um, a traditional Mario game coming out this fall. And uh, I think it's going to be a great little game playing system. But for our listeners, the thing that's even more interesting is that it's going to have, uh, for the first time ever for a Nintendo console, uh, iOS integration. And so there's going to be an app that's coming out in the near future uh, where you're going to be able to connect your iPhone or your iPad to the Switch um, and change some of the settings and uh, do parental controls with it. Um, it's going to be advanced kind of parental controls, limiting it to certain hours, uh, weekends versus weekdays, rules, limiting the types of games that your kids can play, that sort of stuff. Um, and hopefully in the future, I'd like to see some support for like the Nintendo eShop. So say you're at work and you don't have your Switch on you, but you want to download a game, you can buy it on your phone. And then when you get home, it's already downloaded and waiting for you, that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's nice to see this marriage between Apple and Nintendo starting to uh, become a little bit more, uh, obviously, after the release of Super Mario Run. And I'm hoping that it continues so to, uh, thumbs up to thumbs further down. between them. Uh, thumbs up. I think I'm a Nintendo fanboy. I'll admit. Okay, but so for three hundred dollars, it's thirty dollars burning a hole in your pocket. Do you buy an iPad or a Switch? <laughs> uh, are you buying your iPad to play games? Then buy a Switch. Are you buying your iPad to read, browse the web, um, post right. to Facebook? Then get ladies an and gentlemen, Neil Hughes. But if you if you want to play games, get yourself. This has been the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor. We've had Neil. Neil, where can people find you on the Internet? You can read me at AppleInsider.com and you can find me on Twitter at this is Neil, N-E-I-L. Well, and if Neil gets a 256 gig iPhone SE that he gets put together for him in China, we'll tell you all about it next week on the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor. We'll see you then. Thanks.